Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to my Christmas time capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is a special collection of some of the guests we've had on our podcast during this year, telling me either the thing they love about Christmas or the thing they loathe about Christmas, something they would like to bury in the ground with the tons of non-recyclable wrapping paper that we produce every year. Yep, you can tell what I'd choose to get rid of. So, let's waste no more time. Waste, you see, that's one of those clever links that DJs do. We don't want you to be down in the dumps or think our podcast is a load of rubbish <laughs> or that we've been frivolous. No, that's enough of that. We're all going to have to suffer enough puns from Christmas crackers soon enough. So, here's our first guest, the presenter and chat show host, Clive Anderson. I enjoy Christmas, but I like everybody, well, I think like everybody else, the build-up to Christmas can be a bit uh, unnecessarily stressful. And you're thinking, oh, what am I going to buy to Auntie this? Or, oh, what can I buy my wife? You know, that she hasn't... And you think, well, it, it should just be joyous. It should just, just be great. Because, uh, you know, you don't really you don't really care what you're given yourself. Anything's quite jolly. So, but you're worried about not doing the right thing for your children or your family. Do or... you not occasionally at Christmas get to the point when all the presents have been given and you've opened all your presents? You have a little pile of presents yeah. that, you, that you've received. Do you not occasionally look at them and think, is that it? <laughs> is that all I've got? I think that's a bit, I think that <laughs> might be quite a male thing, sort of grown-up men. People uh, can't really think of what to buy you. I don't know why. When my children were very young, uh, build-up to Christmas was, was uh, stressful because I have three children uh, and a wife, and there's me, and my wife's birthday is just before Christmas. So since when the time I was in charge of getting the presents for the children to give to their mother, uh, that's where you do the math, as they say. In a, I, had, I had eight presents to buy for my wife every year until the children <laughs> were grown up enough. To make their own mistakes. Yeah, once they're about, you know, 18 months old, I said, right, you're in charge. No, no, you know, had several years of that. It was usually quite a busy time of the year for me, you know, with, with uh, you know, once we're doing television programmes that, that built up to Christmas. So it wasn't ideal uh, time. But anyway, that's, it's more fun than not having presents to buy. Yeah, so, uh, so what is it you particularly like, Clive, about Christmas? So, you know, sometimes you're asked these questions, what are your favourite things? You, you think, oh, I don't know, what is my favourite novel? What is the, uh, the, the record I'd 
you know, this is a continuing problem on these sorts of podcasts that uh, yes. <laughs> we all do. Um, but so, but I immediately thought the thing about Christmas I like is a pantomime. I uh, don't go to absolutely loads and loads and loads, but over the years I've seen quite a few. Mm. I suppose in recent years I live in you know Islington, Highbury. The quite close to there is the Hackney Empire, and they do a pantomime every Christmas, almost always starring Clive Rowe playing the pantomime Dave, and he's a particularly good pantomime dime. Maybe he doesn't want people to always praise him for this, but he is very, very good in it. And the Hackney Empire, it's the old-fashioned pantomimes looking back to oldie-worldy England, but reflecting the, the, the racial makeup of Hackney today and good old jokes, some even new ones <laughs> if they can squeeze them in, fabulous costumes. So I'd say it's a very traditional pantomime. And I've seen uh, quite a few over the years in different... Uh, one of my first theatrical memories, i.e. being in the theatre, mm. was a little local production of a pantomime i think it was called something like polly perkins or something and uh, it's the other things that stick in your memory because at some point in it there was sort of an audience participatory bit where the the hero the the, the buttonsy kind of character is supposed to say yes this the magic item we can see i can see it it is here isn't it isn't it everybody and we were all supposed to shout back yes we can see it but it was a raucous night maybe it was the last night and uh, mates were in and they all shouted no we can't see it. so we all joined it no we can't see it. completely ruining it. you've done pantomime i've done a lot of pantomime yes i've done a lot of pantomime in yeah. my time uh, therefore i have a brain stuffed yes full of those jokes oh good you have to gather them all together and then they, they stay with you forever yeah. so all those if i say to someone what's your name they say neil in normal life i almost automatically go down on one knee <laughs> you know. why wouldn't you yeah why wouldn't you yes but you've written pantomime haven't you well yes when i was at uh, university where I, I me and my friend simon wrote a pantomime and in preparation for it you know to get some uh, in cambridge and the arts theater in cambridge is a it's like a proper commercial theater it's not just for students so they had a pantomime every year and i saw the last one that cyril fletcher did oh wow he did about 20 years of doing pantomimes and they told him now this is your last cyril and he i'm not saying he was bitter about it but he made references in his pantomime to the fact oh <laughs> well, enjoy it now because next year you won't understand it because oh, it's much it's much more intellectual next year. And you think, well, what's he on about? And next year was John Moffat, who is a distinguished actor. He had he was starring in and indeed had written the pantomime. And uh, we went to see him, and it was a fantastic pantomime. It was uh, really good. It had Dennis Lawson in it and Zoe Wanamaker. I think it was one of her first stage roles, and it was it was great. We wrote one for the you know student pantomime, which we enjoyed. I wrote one for the radio with Rory McGrath, which was fun when we finally got the script done which we we were a bit late in delivering the script to uh, ironically enough the, the producer was douglas adams who went on to become the superstar writer of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and famous for missing deadlines for every time he wrote a novel or anything he was notorious had to be locked into rooms to get it done but we gave him the idea obviously he was so late and this was pre the days of the internet and email and stuff we were actually in cambridge where rory was living and we finished the second half and took it to Cambridge Station and found a, a pleasant-looking woman who he didn't know, saying, could you take this script, this envelope with you to Liverpool Street, is where they were going to, and a, a tall, worried man called Douglas will find you and, and, and you can no. the script. <laughs> well, <laughs> My God. So she, and and that, that part of it worked. I mean, she didn't just tear it up and throw it away. But it's not for everybody because you've got to enjoy the sort of uh, corniness of it and the fact that the you know there's ludicrous costumes and, and some people, especially nowadays, are not that comfortable with, you know, men dressing as women and women dressing as men and all that kind of. Mm -hmm. But I'm 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 comfortable enough with that. I'm old fashioned enough to to yeah. get the enjoyment from it. Yeah, when you're on stage, you play Dame. Yes. When Clive Rowe's doing it, who I started talking about, he's I would hope he doesn't mind me saying he's quite a big man and when you put him in a huge frock he is a you know an imposing presence on stage but he's got a great singing voice and he also moves and so i'm just now i'm imagining you with a big woman's <laughs> costume so how do you compare with the great clive well not so much with that but just how are you some people are always very much here i am a man inside and yeah, no i play it entirely as a man the great <laughs> thing about 
being a dame is that most of it is padding. So you don't have to be a very large, imposing person to look like a large, imposing person. Yeah. I nearly always start a pantomime by coming on and going, oh, hello, but oh, I can't keep that up. <laughs> That'll be my opening line. Yes. Uh, and then from then on, I talk exactly like I do. All right. You know, which I think is sort of what a dame should do. I yeah. think it should be clearly a man in a dress. Sort of, and this may be in itself a sexist, I don't know, but I think uh, the audience is more comfortable sometimes with laughing at a man looking a bit ungainly mm-hmm. or even ugly. Uh, we know it's a man, we know, and you're with no actual human being offended. Quite. Where if it's a woman doing it, which I've, I can't th- remember seeing done, but I'm sure has been done quite a lot. Uh, you know, a woman playing the dame. It's, oh, no, are we laughing at the actress, uh, the, the woman, the real one, or are we mm. laughing at the part? But Yeah, no, well, no, it's mm. complicated because, in fact, a lot of the jokes that you do would be at your own expense. Mm. You know, you might make jokes about your husband yeah. or your ex-husband <laughs> or the, the ex-husbands <laughs> quite yes. often. Usually the dame is a single woman and she is desperately trying to find yeah. a partner. But I do enjoy the process of putting it together and making sure you've got good jokes. You know, yeah. I, I would do jokes like, sorry, it's Christmas, I put on weight. Actually, I was big in the summer. I was big and I was lying on the beach and Greenpeace tried to push me back into the sea. <laughs> yes. I don't know if the audience to this podcast are laughing, but I am. I'm not sure the children necessarily get the jokes. When I say things like I was so large, I started wearing a G-rope. <laughs> But there we are. <laughs> Next year, you and I can write a pantomime. I'll just do the boring stuff, the plot and the who's going to marry who at the end and all that. <laughs> and you can just pepper it with these rip-snortingly original jokes. <laughs> so that was my answer. thing I like about Christmas pantomime. And uh, pantomime with you in it is clearly uh, the absolute top-notch thing. So next Christmas, I'll be seeking you out at the Alhambra Empire or wherever you're going to be performing. You should have come and seen me at the Cambridge Arts. I played it. I did three years. I followed Christopher Biggins, you can imagine. I'm sure you're well up to Biggins. Yes, I, I could run faster. <laughs> Clive Anderson there. Our next guest has won Commonwealth, European and Olympic medals for Great Britain in athletics and is a Scottish record holder for the 400 metre hurdles. She was a guest on my time capsule back in January 2021, right in the middle of lockdown. So it was lovely to talk to Ailey Doyle again and discover what she treasures and what she'd be glad to forget about Christmas. Christmas is coming. Hopefully. So I won't keep you forever. I'm just going to pick your brain of something that you put into a Christmas time capsule. Yeah. So I think definitely to keep would be The Muppet Christmas Carol, the movie. <laughs> it's my favourite Christmas movie. and um, But it has been since I was we were little. Me and my two sisters in particular love it. More the songs, really, than anything. Oh. And we kind of feel a bit guilty because we had it on videotape when we were, when we were younger and we used to watch it on video. And there's a song, in it, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have, yeah. There's a song that, that Michael Caine sings with his love interest. And we used to find this song really boring. We'd always fast forward it. <laughs> and then we went back and watched it, obviously a bit older, and now we've all got kids of ourselves. And watching it back, this song's cut. It doesn't exist anymore. No. And I thought, I thought, where's that song? And, I, and at first I was like, oh, great, because that song, we always fast forward it. And then I felt a bit guilty and I thought, oh, it's a shame because it doesn't add to the plot or anything like that, but it does make the movie make a bit more sense when the song's in it. Um, it's called When Love Is Gone. And it's a kind of soppy romantic song between the two characters. And I thought, I wonder if people just, loads of people fast forward the song and it got cut. So I actually looked up to see what happened to it. And what I read was that um, they took it out because they didn't think it was appropriate for kids. They wouldn't enjoy that song in it. So they took it out, but then they lost any copies of it. No. So they could never bring it back in. We have lost Michael Caine singing yeah, the song. singing the song When Love Is Gone. So uh, we've, I think, still got <laughs> it on our, our videotape somewhere. But then I felt really bad. And every time I watch it now and it's on the telly, I'm like, oh, it really misses that song, the one that we used to always fast forward. So I feel a bit guilty that, yeah. that, that it lost the song. But we watch it now with our own kids, but... We'll always kind of text to there when we're watching it because we'll quote it and there's my sister does a really good impression of Michael Caine's dancing in it and things like that. So there's a lot of nice kind of family memories with it. Well, you should video yourself singing this song and put it on YouTube so that <laughs> and, you know, at any point people say, and we stop the film here and Ailey will now tell us what's missing. <laughs> <laughs> there's always those, those songs in those sort of movies, aren't there? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Oh, What a Lovely Lonely Man in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Beautiful voice, wonderful yeah. song, swinging about on a swing, always fast-forwarded. Yeah, it's just we didn't obviously enjoy it as kids, but now I feel guilty that it's not there anymore now and it's not a part yeah. of the movie. So hopefully 
it will be found at some point and they can they can add it again now. You should hang on to that videotape though. It may be the only copy. Well, it's somewhere in my mum and dad's loft, I think, and that's a whole other <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that's what I would keep. And I think what I would get rid of, and I only really decided this properly yesterday, is people who can decorate their Christmas tree and make it look immaculate. <laughs> and it's a jealousy thing here more than anything. But every year I sort of kind of think, right, I'll do the tree this way and it'll look great. And and however I try and do my Christmas tree, it just looks like a mess. And, and then I think sometimes I think, oh, it looks quite good. And I take a photo and then I'll go on social media and see everybody else sharing theirs. And I just think, mine just looks like an absolute disaster. And, and I, I think a lot of it's, again... From my family, I mean, my mum and dad, when they used to put their Christmas tree up, I'm one of four siblings, and they used to have their Christmas tree covered in just tat that we'd made at school. Yeah. And they kept it on there for years and years. I remember going back home one Christmas and seeing, like, a little Christmas pudding hanging that I'd made in, like, primary two, and they still had it, and I thought, fair play to them. And I think it was that kind of notion of they're not really meant to be that neat. They're just, you know, you put up all your baubles and your tinsel and everything. And But as I've got a bit older, I've tried to make mine look, nicer <laughs> I just can't like whatever way I do it I put the lights on first or if I you know try and make it a bit more color coordinated I just I just don't think they're destined to look good and then I see other people's and I think how have they made their Christmas tree look so good well for a start they've almost certainly not let any children near true it. yeah uh-huh once you say okay do you want to put this up you spend the whole time saying so that one right next to the other one that's exactly the same yeah. isn't it I decorated the tree with my granddaughter the other day and uh, we have a section which is reserved for uh, feathery birds. Right. So there's a whole aviary yeah. in the middle of my Christmas tree with no bulbs or anything around it. So it does look a mess. Yeah. But at the same time, delightful. Well, that's it. I think that's the main thing. As long as you're happy with it yourself. I got my son to help. So he's, he'll be two in January now. So I thought, well, let him join in and let him help. And within about five minutes, he'd pulled off a star on my lights and he'd uh, decapitated an angel. <laughs> So um, I thought I'll just maybe wait till he goes to bed and then I'll finish it off properly. Um, So at least he enjoys it anyway. Yeah, that's the important thing. That's the important thing about Christmas, I think. Just enjoy it. Too many people are worried about the look of it or the effect of it. Mm. So I think you're right to put those people into a time capsule (laughs) and bury them. Because, yes, they all make us jealous. But at the same time, they're wrong. Exactly, yeah. I think it should be a mismatch. It should be homemade ornaments and tat all over your tree. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> the lovely Ailey Doyle. And personally, I can't wait to see the Muppets Christmas Carol again this year, even without Michael Caine's song. Yeah, I wouldn't bother looking at Ailey's tree, though. It's always a complete mess. Right, moving on, my next Christmas guest is a contributor to Private Eye, a member of the comedy improv troupe Ostentatious, star of the TV show The Mash Report, and one of the members of the smash hit podcast No Such Thing as a Fish. Lazy good for nothing. It's Andrew Hunter Murray. Okay, Andy, well, what I'm looking for is something from your life that you either love so much or, in fact, loathe so much about Christmas that you'd want to bury it in the ground in a time capsule. Can I pick something a bit uh, conceptual? Yeah. Yeah, I like conceptual. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm almost a conceptual performer. I think of myself (laughs) that way. Okay. Well, I will pick the spell on about the 28th or 29th of December where that's where I think the real Christmas happens because that's where at the point at which I think you're so deeply dug in if you're lucky enough to have a bit of a break between Christmas and New Year, that's where the Christmas is so intense because lots of people work <laughs> until the 24th. By the 28th or 29th, you're right there in the kind of hole-in-the-ground nest of Christmas. Mm. Um, so I go and stay with my family every Christmas and, you know, that's that's um, what I've done for many years. And And by that point, you might be a book or two into the pile of books that you're hoping to get through <laughs> and you've been eating really poorly for about four days now. And that for me is the deep Christmas time that I really, really like, mm. especially because it's the time when <laughs> I personally start to realise everything I've been doing wrong with my life and exactly how I remedy it and exactly the enormous changes I need to make to my life in the next year. And this spell, <laughs> it only lasts a couple of days, unfortunately. I never remember on the 2nd of January what these huge changes were exactly how I was going to completely remedy all my ills. But for that brief spell, you have a little realise, oh, yeah, 
this is really the way to live. On a sofa with <laughs> yeah. lots of chocolates. That's got to be the answer. Yeah. Are you a person who is happy on Christmas Day if at the end of present opening you just have a big pile of books? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I always have a big pile of books that are waiting to be read uh, and it waxes and wanes as the year goes on. People don't give me books very much, to be honest. It's really... No, Do they, they not? I think they think I'm going to be a fusspot about it and they're right. Uh, and they also <laughs> think that I'm so pathetically easily stressed that I'll feel a great sense of obligation on receiving a, you know, an 800-page book biography of someone I haven't heard of and they're saying no you're really gonna like it all right (laughs) oh god I've got to plow through this I know I know it is a risk giving someone a book like that I mean um I have uh, given out uh, the Craig Brown's book about the Beatles once or twice in the last year or so because I read it in the last year. Yeah. And it's incredible. Mm-hmm. But it is a doorstop. It's and you you have to be really sure of yourself when you're telling people this thing to read to the extent of even buying them a copy. Which is not to say that it shouldn't be done. Buying people books as gifts, it's a great thing to do. No, and you could read it whilst waiting for something else to happen in the Get Back movies. <laughs> oh, I haven't got into that yet. I, I basically, I think you could get through most of the book in the course of that film. Yes, just okay, about. Yeah. <laughs> My wife is very happy at the end of Christmas if... All she has next to her is a large pile of books, but then she would have told everybody exactly the books she wants. Wow, that's playing the clever game. Yeah, see, I I Mm. don't do that as much, really, and I should do. No, but I like the surprise. I don't want to tell people what I want. I don't like the idea of people giving me a list of things they want for Christmas. I like to be able to guess what they might want. Yeah, I am already becoming the sort of person who says, when asked, (laughs) what do you want for Christmas? Oh, well, I don't need anything, you know. Well, if I needed something during the year, I bought it. I needed a new tape measure. I, I went out and bought it, and that's that's it. I'm afraid. So so tough. And it's the sort of man I swore I would never become. And as the years go by, it's just happened. Oh and no! I, I'm going to become one of the people who's incredibly difficult to buy for. It's the opportunity to indulge yourself, though. Yes. I, well, when you put it in those pleasure-seeking terms, that that makes the whole thing. Uh, sounded a lot nicer than what I was have been characterising it as an opportunity to complete any unfilled administrative tasks from the year. Do I need a new trowel? <laughs> yeah, no, the old trowel's fine. Right, I'll keep the old trowel. Nothing under the tree this year, thank you. Yeah, I see. This uh, pleasure giving thing. I think you're onto something here, Mike. Well, maybe I'm, I'm going to transform Christmas for you. Yeah. Maybe that third day after Christmas Day when you're sitting there, maybe that's what's happening to you. Is you're suddenly going. Enjoyment, pleasure, (laughs) relaxation. Oh, my God. I think that might be it, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to know. It's nice to know that you've discovered that every now and again, but sad to think that you forget it by the 2nd of January. I think so, and then it's just the long old haul to next December. (laughs) You've always got a trowel, though. Yes, always got a trowel, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, brilliant. That's very funny. Andrew Hunter Murray, digging for Britain this Christmas. Good luck with the baby in the new year, Andy. Right, where to next? Ah, yes, the guest that had me in tears, both of laughter and sadness, in episode 142 of my time capsule, the star of Emmerdale and lots more, the lovely Lisa Riley. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Mike. Merry Christmas. A merry, merry Christmas. And it really is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? can feel it in the air, you know. Oh, I can almost smell it. So you're going to tell me about a lovely Christmas memory that you'd like to put into a time capsule. I have a flashback to being 23 years old. Oh, Uh. I'm getting old, Mike. I truly am. (laughs) Um, I turned 23 July 13th that year and I finalised on my first house, the house that I first bought Brilliant. with my own earnings. It was all mine uh, back in Bury, mm-hmm. where all my family are from and where my family still live today. My dad, my brother, my sister-in-law, my nephews and nieces. Um, and I often go back to Bury, but it was the Christmas, my first Christmas when I was 23 years old. In your new home. In my own home. And that sense of pride, that sense of coming together. Yeah. Um, my mum, my dad, my brother, my grandma, Pat, she was still with us. My granddad, Sam, was still with us. And my beautiful papa, my mum's dad, Bill. They were all there. My dog, Marnie, who I mentioned as well on mm. the podcast. Yeah, lovely dog. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. When... I'd worked so hard all the hours that I put in and 
owning my own home, you know, at 23. And, and it was beautiful. I did all the interior design myself and, um, Anyone who knows me knows I'm such a neat freak and to have my own house. <laughs> it was just how I always, always imagined. And I remember decking the house with the tree and all the decks and, and the table. You know, I, I, to this day, I still love laying the table for Christmas, making that extra special details that everyone like loves and candles and colour schemes. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I truly love it. But this particular one just sort of, looking around and and it was it was the one memory where I had everybody who I love around me um my family um of course as I spoke you know a lot of them have gone to the angels in the sky now um but that that Christmas more than anything it it meant the world because my grandparents the three of them that were there my parents and my brother and my little dog we had a sense of unity together um, in my home and having a, the pride that, that I'd, I'd achieved this. And sort of, we had a toast together to bless the house and, Lovely. and that memory will, will live with me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's special. And that sense of togetherness is what money can't buy. You don't need presents. You don't. Not when you have that. When you have that, you are insanely rich. Yeah. All that love around the table. It's nothing to do with getting the best toy or the best thing from Selfridges. You don't need it. That's what you need. The people around you who you love. That's being rich. Yeah. Thank you for letting me share with you my favourite, favourite Christmas memory. But yeah, it truly has to be that. Yeah, a sort of independence, but also everybody together. Yeah, when I was in my first paid-for house back in Bury, North Manchester, uh, Lancashire girl through and through. <laughs> um, yeah, all them years ago now, yeah. Great memories. So, yes, all your listeners, Mike, um, keep doing what you do. Time Capsule is is amazing. I'm, I'm an oh. avid listener. And, um, yeah, I'm sure you're going to have loads of beautiful guests in, uh, in 2022, which we will all be listening to. <laughs> what a lovely thought. Stay safe. Stay safe and look after the ones that you love. I will. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Three Christmas kisses. <laughs> With no mistletoe. Who needs mistletoe? <laughs> What a gorgeous person Lisa is. And I'm not just saying that because she said my podcast is good. Although that does help, obviously. Next, we have the pop master himself, the Radio 2 DJ and longtime presenter of the Eurovision Song Contest on Radio 2, Ken Bruce, who actually agreed to join me on Zoom to chat about Christmas in an email sent at 9.29am. Now, any listeners to Ken's show, and there are a lot of them, will know that he goes on air at 9.30am. You could call that cutting it fine, but I call it experienced. Ken Bruce, how lovely to have you on my Christmas time capsule. And we're going to talk about something that you either love about Christmas or that you hate about Christmas, or maybe both. Well, probably both, because uh, I think for most people, Christmas is a time of great joy, but also some irritation. (laughs) Uh, And most of that comes down to having family around you that you haven't seen for... I mean, I can remember when I was a child, on Christmas Day, we used to have all these relatives around, uh, some of whom were lovely, some of whom were... (laughs) Uh, And then we'd have to do the whole thing again at New Year's Day uh, over at their place. (laughs) Nobody was in the mood for it. Nobody wanted it. So it can be a little irritating. But mostly, mostly, uh, I love Christmas. and, And mostly it's the food. I do like Christmas food. Yeah. Almost everything. Uh, I mean, pigs and blankets, I could eat every day of the year, all day. Uh, <laughs> Christmas, I wouldn't need turkey, I wouldn't need any of that sort of stuff. Just pigs and blankets, I could live on that. It's not the healthiest, perhaps, no. of diets, but I could happily do that. And mulled wine. I love mulled wine. Don't want it any other time than December. And even then, it has to be just a particular period in December. But I love a glass of mulled wine. Mm. Uh, come January forget it i don't want to know it but it's absolutely it it just uh, defines the season for me yeah and the secret of a good mulled wine apparently is to use good wine yeah uh, using the cheap old rubbish that you've had at the bottom of the cupboard for six months 
Yeah, it's never going to work. Oh, you've been round to my house. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even bother serving it as mulled wine. It just comes out in the glasses. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's got to be uh, decent quality wine. I mean, I don't say it's your uh, Chateau Neuf du Pape or anything like that. But, you know, it, it, it's got to be a decent Yeah, a decent bottle. Yeah. Well, I like mulled wine as well, but um, I'm absolutely with you on pigs in blankets. I love them. Yeah, this is the great one of the great advantages. Uh, my wife is vegetarian. And one of the great advantages of living with a vegetarian is that you get all the pigs in blankets. Yourself. Uh, I mean, I've got to occasionally spot the children away. You know, some of them want to say, no, 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 these are that. Back in the cupboard, back in the cupboard. <laughs> but if you wish me to detail something that I hate about Christmas, again, it comes down to food, and it is bread sauce. I mean, the very name. I mean, bread sauce. <laughs> Why would you make a sauce out of bread? I mean, of all the things you've got in your house, it is poverty food, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you had nothing else in the house, but if there's anything else in the house, you know, there must be a scrap of meat somewhere. You could make a nice little gravy or something. There must be a vegetable you could do something with. But bread, I mean, God. And it tastes awful. I've only ever tasted it, I think, twice in my life. And that's been enough for me. If I see it on a plate, I'll just push it to the edge of the plate or not get it on the plate at all. Bread sauce. Forget it. You're completely right. I would agree entirely with you, but I would never agree with you in front of my wife because she'd be furious. <laughs> she makes it every year, a huge bowl of bread sauce, which sits there until it gets thrown away sometime just before New Year's Eve. <laughs> you put it out for the birds, and even the birds won't eat it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's falling stuff. I'm going to try that this year. I'm going to watch the birds come up and just shrug their shoulders and turn away disappointed. <laughs> Thank you so much, mate. Lovely to see you. I hope you have a lovely Christmas yourself. Merry Christmas. Without bread sauce. <laughs> Many thanks to Ken for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule to chat with me. Actually, I tried to get him to chat with me in 2020, but we didn't get round to it until May of this year. <laughs> Still, that means I get a one-year-out T-shirt. That's, of course, gibberish to anyone who doesn't listen to Popmaster, but regular listeners will know that I'm partial to a bit of gibberish. In fact, my next guest and I spent a very happy hour exchanging gibberish, or as some people like to say, talking bollocks, back in July. So I was honoured that he took the time to talk to me again on a day where he was due to perform two shows at the London Palladium. It's the star of a multitude of musicals and pantomimes over the years, the brilliant Gary Wilmot. Have you done ones in front of the audience yet, then? Yeah, we did two yesterday, yeah. And it was it was good. They're absolutely loving it. Yeah, I bet. They, yeah. they always do. They're just up for it, and that makes a huge difference, you know. Mm. And uh, I was listening in the wings, particularly when Julian's on stage. It's like one of those American sitcoms where there's a laugh every line. He is fantastic, though, isn't he? Oh, he's just a joy. He's, um, he's not only has such great stage presence but he's um he's a really nice man and he's he's really good at his job uh, i don't think i've ever come across anybody that has so much kind of stage presence as he has the moment he comes on you get him you know it's it's yeah. one of those and it's a real talent now but you also would never have guessed thinking of his early days and his acts then yeah. that he would then become the the king of panto <laughs> or the queen of panto I the think queen of panto maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, no absolutely right and when i first heard oh we've got it 20 years ago maybe that julian was got i thought how's that gonna work you know julian clary in pantomime but he's taken to it like a like duck to water it's um, yeah it's amazing and particularly now i mean he's he's the main man at the uh at the land of palladium it's his theater mm. and well deserved as well and that's off the back of an amazing history of Panto at the Palladium, isn't it? I went to see Arthur Askey in Pantomime at the London Palladium in about <laughs> 1963. You're far too young, no. <laughs> 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 he was saying Dan Leno next. No, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I actually worked with Arthur Askey um, near, near the end of his career, his life. Really? Um, yeah, he, he presented a programme called Rising Stars. Yeah. And uh, I was doing a double act at the time. It was about 45 years ago, 40, 44 years ago. And uh, and we went on and he was the host. Um, oh, my yeah, word. It was, it was quite strange. It must have been one of the last television things he did. But Michael Harrison, our producer, is, uh, they've come up with a brilliant design. All the way around the proscenium arch are posters 
from previous pantomimes there. Oh, um, wow. And it's really wonderful to sit there. I mean, in rehearsals, I'd sit in the auditorium and I would just read all those names, most of which I'd actually seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was Charlie Drake, Cannon and Ball, uh, Richard Hearn, Mr. Pastry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Billy Dainty. And all these names are just up there. It's a, it's a, it's a remarkable building. It's almost a, a museum in itself. Mm. the London Palladium. You know, you walk down some of the uh, corridors where the public aren't allowed and there's all these photographs and posters of things there that, uh, yeah, just a true history of variety. Although you do get a sense of your own age, don't you? (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) How lovely. Well, what a wonderful thing to be doing through Christmas. I'm not doing pantomime this year. Oh, you're not? No, I'm taking a break. Your thighs have been slapped enough, have they? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't think I'm at the thigh-slapping stage. I can see you in a high-cut leotard. (laughs) (laughs) Strangely enough, I do Dame, which is what you do, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't know if I do Dame. I'm kind of Gary Wilmot in a dress, really. Um, (laughs) There have been some great Dames, as we know, like there's Dawson, as I mentioned, Billy Dainty, uh, just some wonderful people. And, and, uh, And I'd said when to move from playing Buttons to become a, a dame is kind of like a huge step because then there is no going back from that. No. You know, once they get you in a frock, that's it. They go, oh, no, you're brilliant. Yeah, that's it. We only want you in a frock. I said to Michael when he asked me, I said, I've worked with a lot of dames and I said that most of their work is done in the wings changing, Yeah, you know, into different costumes. I said, if it can be done where I just have a first half working outfit, a second half working outfit, and then a finale. And he went, okay. Well, over the years, I kind of introduced, they go, oh, no, we're doing a big snow scene. We'd really love you if you were in a... <laughs> Okay. It's exhausting. People don't realise that that's it. Whenever a dame is off stage, they're changing. Oh, absolutely, yes. It's a struggle because, I mean, particularly if it's not an everyday thing for you to, to put women's clothes on, it's a real it's a real struggle. And there's usually two or three dressers to, to help them with that. But I, I'm lucky. I, I kind of try and keep the costumes to a minimum. Mm. But this year, it's not really a pantomime. It's a, it's a tribute to, to pantomime. And it's like, a, I suppose if it was an album, it'd be called Now That's What I Call Panto. Um, <laughs> it's all the best bits, all the best bits of panto with no story. And uh, we do some great routines. And in a way, that's what Panto is. It is a series of routines that are linked by a sort of a tenuous story. Of course, we've got the... He's, and he is fabulous, Donny Osmond. I can't tell you how good Donny is. He's just absolutely fantastic. Um, a lovely man. I worked with his brother. Um, well, we crossed over on, a, on, a, on the role of Billy Flynn. And Jimmy is one of the nicest men you'd ever meet. And mm. Donny is, is even better than that. He's just <laughs> so lovely. You know, he'll come up to you after a scene and, and because he knows he's new to Panto and it's all a bit of a... You know, the danger of him looking like a rabbit in headlights and not yeah. knowing what's going on. But he came up and he said, um, have you got any notes for me? You know, oh. <laughs> this is a man who's been doing his job for 50 years. I mean, people say, I look good for my age, but you want to see Donny Osmond. He looks like he's just stepped out of a school uniform. It's just quite <laughs> remarkable. Does he sing Puppy Love? Yeah, he does. Uh, several Hooray! times. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a theme for him. But uh, I can't speak highly enough of him and the way he's just fitted in with everything and everyone and uh, and so, so lovely, yeah. I did bring my children to see you in pantomime a long time ago and you were oh, playing we, buttons. Would it have been Richmond? Yeah, and I have to say, for the lead comic, you're right up there. Oh. You and Brian <laughs> Conley. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. And I can remember if it was Richmond, I can remember that was the year. You know the way gags come into vogue, you do them a week later and they're they're out of fashion again because they're topical. And that year was the year that the guy lost his dog, Fenton, which I'm sure you'll remember. (laughs) I do, yeah. Yes, (laughs) on Richmond. And it was wonderful. When we were doing that scene that's in all Cinderella's, when you're, she's not going to the ball, but uh, you go, well, we'll have our own ball right here in the kitchen. And you grab the tablecloth and you go, here's a gown. And you put it around her shoulders. (laughs) And that old gag with the carrots. You go, here's a necklace. Look at that. 12 carat, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we get on the, we eventually get on the coach and we start and I go, there we go. We go down the high street and across and across Richmond Common. Fenton! Fenton! <laughs> and everybody roars. <laughs> and if you did that now, they'd just stare at you. Absolutely. That does happen yeah. with panto jokes. It's a shame, really, because there are some great ones. I was thinking about it the other day. One of my favorite jokes is uh, that all male tennis players are witches. Goran, even he's a witch. <laughs> I love no. those plays on word. I love that. Yeah. There's a nice one in Aladdin that, that never goes out of fashion. And they say, here comes the emperor. 
Salam, salam, salam. <laughs> it, oh, it's not the emperor. Full salam, full salam. It's <laughs> a classic. I like it when I'm doing Dame when I discover a new joke that seems to work as a Dame. Yeah. I put one in a few years ago that I, I wrote, actually, which was, um, actually, I'm staying in a hotel, which is nice, and what a lovely girl on reception. She said to me, would you like a wake-up call? I said, yes, please. She said, you're old, you're fat, and you've done nothing with your life. <laughs> You can have it. Oh, that's very kind. <laughs> that's a belter. <laughs> we love them, you see, and all yeah. audiences love that. I can't tell you what a thrill it is to be back in a theatre again. I can see that you jump out of bed in the morning and are ready for it. Look at you. Well, yes, but not. I, I don't think I, you jump, you know, we're, we're a similar age. You don't <laughs> jump out of bed for anything. Or sadly, into bed for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we are. I was going to talk to you about something you want to put in the time capsule, but I'm perfectly happy to put your lovely time at the Palladium in there. It's a real thrill, and particularly in the home of variety. It's a really very special place. It's absolutely fabulous to hear you talk about it. So thank you. No, my pleasure. A Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Gary Wilmot. Well, I hope you're enjoying our festive collection. I certainly am, but then, you know, two bottles of port really does help. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a small ad break now. Uh, But if you really believe we will return, come on, say it with me. I believe in podcasts. I do. I do. I believe in podcasts. I do. I do. Hurrah, podcasts live. Right, we'll be back in a minute, boys and girls. Don't forget to go to the toilet. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And like that extra drink you shouldn't have on Christmas Eve, we're back already. Right, our next guest on My Christmas Time Capsule is the Scottish stand-up comedian and regular on the news quiz, Fred McCauley. So, Fred McCauley, how lovely to see you. Merry Christmas. And to you too, Mike. Now, we're going to talk about something that you want to put into a Christmas time capsule. Yeah, it's it's a lovely thing, Mike, because this is a fond thing, yeah? Yeah. This is something that has shaped Fred McCauley, okay? Absolutely. Now, yes. I'm going to take you back to about 1966. I would have been just coming up to my 10th birthday. We were living in a place called Rattray, which was the royal borough, I think, of Blair Gowrie and Rattray. And mm-hmm. Christmas then, Mike, in the 60s, um, and people listening to this might not believe it, I had to get up and do my paper round on Christmas morning, okay? (laughs) Of course. Because papers were published on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day wasn't a proper public holiday in Scotland. So I had to go out, (laughs) deliver the papers and then come home and open up the presents. And I had started skiing as a wee boy. And I don't know, did you ski when you were young? No, not really. No, I went on one school trip and the uh, the teachers got so drunk that basically we didn't bother <laughs> go skiing. 
<laughs> right. Well, we lived quite near Glen Shee. It was probably about an hour. And I used to hitchhike up to Glen Shee. Can you imagine that? Age 10 and 11. With your skis? With my skis, because I couldn't wait for, uh-huh. the, for the bus to come up. And ski boots in those days were lace up. At least mine were. You had an inner boot and an outer boot. And, Ooh. you know, they're about the size of a, a walking boot now. And I came home from the paper round. We all opened our Christmas presents and everything was fine. It was a good Christmas morning. And I was directed towards a strange box that was under the seat where my presents had been. And at considerable expense to my parents, only one of whom was working at the time, um, they'd managed to buy me a pair of Castinger clip-up ski boots. Oh, my word. This was something that only the posh kids had. And I've never been so touched by a present in my life. And for a long time, they would sit in the box in my bedroom uh, and I would just enjoy the smell of the the brand new leather. (laughs) And I would clip them and unclip them until I managed to get get away skiing with them. I dare say in a few years after that, there wouldn't have been something that you would have enjoyed smelling. (laughs) And I was telling this story to my kids and... My youngest, Ian, said, I've just got an image of your dad sitting there with your ski boots on your lap, wafting the smell up from the boots like Andrew Lloyd Webber used to do when somebody was thrown out of the search for Dorothy and they had to hand over their shoes. Yeah. They had to hand Andrew Lloyd Webber these shoes. And we used to think, He's, what's he doing? Look at the pair we get. Look at him. So it's these, my very first pair of my own ski boots, Mike. And I've skied, as I say, since I was the age of 10. And Mm. it's my single most enjoyable outdoor passion. It's a fantastic thing, isn't it, when somebody realises that somebody, particularly a child, wants something so badly that they go out of their way to buy a really expensive present. I mean, so often now, presents are really expensive and you have to try and dissuade a child from them because you say, look, we can't afford it. Uh-huh. We can't afford £500 yeah. for a wee. <laughs> we don't have public conveniences nearly that expensive up here. <laughs> don't move to England. Don't move to England. It's too expensive. £500 for a wee. <laughs> but, yeah, and I, I knew I knew the value of, of things even at that early age, and I knew that it had been a bank buster for my parents, you know. And yeah, I also yeah, yeah. knew that my brother and sister didn't get anything near that value. But um, as anybody else that has got a birthday close to Christmas will know, it was followed by the statement, that's your birthday and your Christmas. <laughs> I bet you. Oh, wow. That's a really lovely thing, Fred, to have as a memory. Mm. The only Christmas present I've ever bought that I could regard as being an equivalent was I once bought my son a unicycle. Right. Because he said he wanted a unicycle, and he said it all year long. Uh-huh. And I said, it's not going to last, surely. You know, you'll get on it, fall off, and realise it's no good. You can't ride them. And we bought him this unicycle on a Christmas morning. He grabbed it from the parcel, ran outside, and we watched him for about 10 minutes as he leant against a wall and tried to do it and couldn't. And I thought, well, he'll be back in a minute. And then, of course, you know, drinks were drunk and uh, laughter was had, and we sort of forgot about him. And then there was a knock on the door about an hour and a half later, and he said, come and watch. And we went outside, and he got onto the thing, leaning against the wall, and off he went. She was... How wonderful. It was really wonderful. Yeah. And the sort of £200 present, which was way beyond anything we would normally buy them, was really worth it. Oh, man. I can just imagine if I'd given a unicycle to any of my kids, they would have opened it up and said, where is the rest of the bike? (laughs) Times are hard. We're getting Christmas presents in (laughs) instalments. Next year, handlebars. <laughs> You've definitely given me an idea for this year's Christmas present. I am going to get him handlebars. <laughs> I'd say slowly every 20 years. <laughs> You've waited long enough, son. That's great. <laughs> oh, Fred, how lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, I shall treasure that story and... Uh, and hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And you as well, Mike. It's great to see you. Let's, let's you know, we, we speak when you're doing your podcast, but let's keep in touch Ooh. and have a blether because I love chatting to you, mate. Yeah, me too. Keep well, All Mike. Right, great. Happy Christmas. And you, keep well. 
Well, I hope you're beginning to feel as Christmassy as I am. I'm 27 mince pies in and feeling as sick as a pig. Right, our next guest is the journalist and presenter of The X Factor, This Morning and Loose Women, Kate Thornton, with some lovely memories of her mum and dad at Christmas. When you think of Christmas, when I think about my Christmas childhoods, the thing I, I, I don't know why this is so vivid in my mind, but my dad, right, used to work for Sketchley's, Sketchley's Dry Cleaners. Yeah. And he loved it, right? So when he, when he and my mum were first married, he worked his way up and he was like area manager for Oxfordshire and the Cotswolds. And our school holidays would be spent, I mean, it sounds so awful now, <laughs> in the back of a, a van full of dry cleaning, driving around the Cotswolds, no windows, no seatbelts, just a load of kids rattling around. <laughs> and then come Christmas, they had this massive poster that was given to us that we used to put up in our house. And I think just the scale of it was so impressive. And also the fact that nobody else had this poster. And it was a picture of like a cartoon of Santa, quite old school. Um, the way that it was drawn and the words were Christmas is coming so Santa fancy that they're settled down my trousers my jacket and my hat I think I'll go to sketch list and see what they can do and sure enough I put it in and came back as good as new oh. I remember it so well Mike of course I wish we had it and for me it was I don't know just something that was so symbolic of Christmas I wonder what my son's version of that will be because everything we have is kind of shop bought and you know, with the odd bit of crafting thrown in, you know, yeah. trees full of decorations that he made when he was three. But I'll never let go of, never let go of. But I think <laughs> for anything in that time capsule, I'd probably put that poster back in. Oh, that's brilliant. For me, it was just like, I don't know, it just said Christmas in a way that nothing else in our house ever did. Like the trees changed. We went through, you know, I look back over our family photos and, you know, we had some funky multicoloured tinsel trees at the same time. We had a sort of... <laughs> a green floral three-piece suite that just looked like somebody had had a fight in a flower shop. (laughs) So everything moved. It was cyclical because these things are fashionable. But the one thing that never changed was that. Yeah. And also, at that time, my dad, you know, I I still feel now pinning the the poster to the wall with blue tack that always had little bits of last year's tinsel stuck in it, you know, like an old (laughs) pork scratching festive scratching um and look back now and I, I through my adult eyes I realized that my dad had given up that job that he loved so much because he didn't pay enough right and you know times were tough so he took a job working nights in a factory because the money was good so he gave up a career that he truly loved and that's the sacrifice right to give us kids the best life he could And then he would do painting and decorating at the weekends. That's how we always managed to have a bit of a Christmas and a bit of a summer holiday. You know, we were the first people in our family to go to France, for example, on the coach. It was very exotic. (laughs) We had passports. Oh, my God. Have you heard about our Sandra and Dennis taking those babies to France on the coach? So I now look back and I think, gosh, that must be very difficult. I don't know. Was it difficult for my dad? I must ask him to put that up every year and to remember the times where, you know, he ran the firm. His sisters worked for him. It was a family business. And everybody felt a sense of investment in it. And everybody loved working there. And anytime, even now, they talk about those times, they light up. So there's something really magical about that poster and all that it represents, the sacrifice, the good times. And it's so funny because I hadn't even thought of that before we jumped on this call. It just came into my head. Oh, how lovely. I think the scale of it is the thing that is really impressive. It's really great that your dad kept it after he'd left Sketchly. You're right, it must have been painful to look at. He must have been, because he loved that life. You know, when they first got married, my dad was 19, my mum was 17, and they were posted to Maidenhead, which is incredibly exotic if you've never left the small (laughs) kind of towns of the Cotswolds, right? And, you know, that in itself was pretty, that was a big deal. And, in fact, I ended up going to stay near there a couple of weeks ago for a friend's birthday. I was driving back and I said to my mum, oh, my God, I'm near Maidenhead. And suddenly all the memories started pouring out of both of them. Mm. So for my mum's birthday in January, we're going to stay at a hotel in Maidenhead and we're going to go and revisit all their early haunts when they first worked there running the local sketches in Maidenhead. Oh, gorgeous. So that's a really fantastic memory. And I will definitely very carefully put that Sketchley's poster into the time capsule. I would love to know what happened to that 
It was drawn like the, the Coca-Cola Father Christmas. No, I can um, picture it. I can picture the very sort of bold 1960s look of it. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The moment, you, yeah, I'd love to go. What I'd love now is to be able to sort of climb up into the loft and find it. That would be marvellous. If you want to find that poster, it's in the time capsule. Thank you, Mike. And actually, you know, I, I would forego any gift this Christmas to have presents rather than presents. That's all I really want for Christmas. That should be up on walls. Yeah. I want the presence of people rather than their presence. Brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? I tell you, if that motto isn't all over Christmas mugs, cards, cuddly toys and cushions by this time next year, then I'm no judge of how to get rich quick. And, well, to be honest, I'm not even a very good judge of how to get reasonably comfortable slowly. Still, what gorgeous Christmas memories. Slightly more gorgeous than my next guest's memory of Christmas. This is something you'd like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. It's the writer of the Catherine Tate show, Scarborough, and the huge hit Benidorm, the lovely Darren Lytton, speaking to me from his gorgeous home in Spain. Bastard. So, Darren... How lovely to have you on my Christmas time capsule. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mike. So you're going to tell me something you either love about Christmas or something that you loathe about Christmas. Well, I used to love Christmas. Not that I don't now. I can't, I'm okay with Christmas. I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> I'm old and <laughs> jaded now. But when I was young and full of enthusiasm, I was actually... a professional magician hysterically uh, between leaving school and going to drama school mm. so for about a year and a half almost two years and I've always looked older than my years so when I was about sort of 16 I looked in my 20s and I had a contract with Trust House 40 hotels doing close-up magic and I did I don't tell many people this but I did do children's parties as well um, which I didn't hate, you know, the image of the sort of children's entertainer in sort of Heidi High who hates kids, that sort of thing. I don't hate kids, and I didn't hate them. But there was one that was on um, a council estate in Hull. I'm from Hull, and I was born on a council estate. I was born on a council estate called Bransholm, which is one of the biggest council estates in Europe. The other council estate sort of next to that is called Orchard Park, doesn't that sound lovely, Orchard Park? And what a lovely place. Beguiling, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not saying it's a horrible place. Just lots and lots of council houses that all look exactly the same. And not a single apple tree. Not an apple tree <laughs> to be seen. Uh, so <laughs> I had a booking at one of the most infamous pubs in Hull, which is on the Orchard Park estate, called, and I wish I'd made this up, The Rampant Horse. Uh, so I turned up to the rampant horse after doing two shows in schools that morning. It was utter chaos. So I, I didn't dress as a clown or anything, but I was clearly an entertainer with my quite large box of tricks sort of thing. It looked very colourful. And the kids just, they were, you know, fizzed up on E-number drinks and mince pies already. So they just went insane and i said to the organizer look we're gonna to have to sit them down and he said well you're the entertainer are you oh god i said i am but i kind of i don't want i'm not a school teacher you know what i mean i'm not sort of well i mean they'll sit down if you do something won't they and it's like <laughs> well so i opened my box and of course the kids just ran because they thought it was full of christmas gifts or whatever mm. so this was just absolute insanity and then well i thought it was i got some of the kids sat down and I opened my box and, and started to take a few things out. And I thought, okay, well, I'll do something visual and quite sort of flashy to get their attention. As I'm about to do that, Father Christmas falls through some double doors, absolutely <laughs> pissed out of his mind. His sack of toys goes everywhere. The kids dive on that. And I just picked up my box and I ran. And I never <laughs> did a children's party ever again in my life. It was possibly the most terrifying experience of my professional career. <laughs> and yet those children have grown up and they say, we once saw this magician. His finale was extraordinary. He made Father Christmas appear right <laughs> through the French windows. It was unbelievable. And then he disappeared. <laughs> 
That was literally the only trick I did. I managed to make myself disappear in about <laughs> three seconds flat. Maybe that's why I'm not that bothered about Christmas. Or performing. Or- <laughs> Because <laughs> I've stopped doing both. <laughs> but I've got to say that I'm, I'm not a complete humbug. After this lovely conversation with you, Mike, I'm going out to buy Christmas decorations for my bar in Spain. Mm. So it's not all bar humbug with me. I do buckle every now and again. Just before you go, then, you just have to say what the weather's like so we can all be really, really jealous. Do you know what? It's always, as you know, Mike, because you spent a lot of time here yourself uh, <laughs> with me and, and a lot of others um, doing my show, Benedon. Yes, happy days. In fact, it's always 10 degrees warmer, isn't it? Merry Christmas, Mike. Merry fucking Christmas. Adios. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there we are, no bar humbug from Darren, just bar decorations. Well, we've nearly come to the end of part one of our Christmas time capsule chats, but there will be more guests in our next episode, which we've very inventively called part two. But before we go, here is one of my favourite guests, actor, author, comedian, television presenter, and a member of the Cobham Parish Council, Emma Kennedy. Emma, I understand that Apparently you have no funny stories at all. No, uh, no, absolutely no funny stories. No, none. Uh, I've got the story about the time that I decided I might try making brandy and champagne cocktails. Would you like that story? <laughs> oh, all right then. Okay, so so <laughs> I was at university and I'd come home for the holidays. And I think at some point during the previous term, somebody had given me a brandy and champagne cocktail and I'd been very impressed with it. And so I'd come home and thought to myself, oh, I know what I'll do to get Christmas Day off to a rollicking start. I will make everyone a brandy champagne cocktail. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing with a dash here and a dash there became large pour here and a large pour there. And before we knew it, myself, my mum and my dad had had three of the things each. So before we even... (laughs) Because we kept going, oh, isn't this love? This is lovely. Just thinking, oh, it's, it's it, you know, it's fine. Anyway, we were absolutely fucked as pigs by lunchtime. It was, you, we can't even imagine how drunk we were before the turkey had even touched the table. And I remember <laughs> eating Christmas dinner. My mother's forehead was on the table. Her forehead was on the table. Anyway... I sort of staggered away from the table, not because we were drinking wine now at this point as well. We were absolutely off our tips. I sort of stumbled away from the table thinking, oh, no, I need to lie down as a matter of urgency. And I went into the sitting room. And the next thing I knew, I heard a door shut to the sitting room and the key in the lock turning. And my mother had woken up from her stupor in the dining room and thought, oh, it's bedtime, I've missed Christmas, and had gone round locking all the doors to go to bed. It was only four (laughs) o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, I was locked in the sitting room. My father, meanwhile, was lying face down in the hallway with his forehead up against the front door, apparently saying, I'm going to kill myself. He wasn't a man who had any sort of depressive illness. I should stress that. Anyway, I was trapped in the sitting room for six hours, and I had to urinate into a vase. <laughs> oh, my God. Will that Christmas story do for you, Mike? I'd say you haven't got any decent stories then. <laughs> no, there's no decent stories. Apart from the other time when I, the best Christmas present I was ever given was by an ageing aunt who just pressed into my hand some loose tampons and whispered into my ear, I don't need them anymore. <laughs> Fill your boots, I don't need this. She handed them to me like they were family jewels. <laughs> oh, my word. I have made the mistake of putting other alcohol into champagne first thing Christmas Day. I've made that mistake, but we didn't go that far. 
Now, we had one that went, Jesus, yeah. if we have any more of these, we're going to fall over. Yeah. And you had three. We were idiots. We were absolute idiots. We just got completely overexcited. It's like yeah. when I was younger and I would open, we'd only get a box of after eights on Christmas Day. That was that was how it was in the 70s and the 80s. They were like super special. <laughs> and the box would open and you would go mad. You'd go mad. You'd eat half of them before 11 o'clock. And it says on the box what the rule is. I know. After eight. Yes, after eight. We went through a period of just getting very overexcited during Christmas. And that was the net mm. result of it. Well, it's to your credit. You should get overexcited at Christmas, I think. I agree. That's exactly what it's for, is yeah. for those sort of stories. Emma, what a lovely thing and what a warning to everybody else. What a thing to avoid on Christmas morning. Yes, I'm like the ghost of Christmas past, just warning you of things that might happen. Although you've helped me a lot because I was really wondering what to get my daughter for Christmas and uh, clearly tampons. But they must be loose. <laughs> You've been listening to My Christmas Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and various guests. A big thank you to all of them for giving up their time and for sharing their Christmas memories with us. If you've enjoyed it, you can hear all of them and plenty of other people on our regular podcast, which you can subscribe to on any podcast player. You can follow both me and my time capsule on several social media sites. The theme music was written by Pass the Peas Music, and this was a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. So, until next time, as Father Christmas says... In those long summer months when he has very little to do apart from keep down the weeds around his veg on his large allotment, ho, ho, ho. Oh, come on, I've just made that up on the spot. I mean, there's no need to get all uppity, try and unplug my mic. No, leave that alone. No, stop it. I mean, come on, it is Christmas... deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.